0: Hey there, welcome to the Deeper Podcast, a podcast that's all about how we love the hell out of this world. And truly, I feel like the days that we're living in can feel like hell, hell spread around the globe in the form of war and violence, but also the torture of just not knowing what to do or what to think. My name is Reverend Sean, I'm one of your hosts, and today I hope that we can be a little bit of a respite a respite from the challenges of the day, but also an invitation to some contemplation. You know, we're in this series of all about first times, and today we have a message from Reverend Gretchen that's all about the first times that we say words that change everything. I think all of us have been in those moments when we say something true that has been growing within us, and we see how Not always how it's received well, but just how it can change things. The first time we say I love you, the first time we come out, the many times that we come out, the first time is that we declare something about our politics or our values or our ethics in public and we see how people respond. The first time we ask for help, all of these moments break us open to life and Break us open to each other if we let it. We're gonna dive pretty directly into the message that Reverend Gretchen is sharing. A message that's all about how transformative those words can be. And she asked some really provocative well not provocative, but impactful questions at the end. And so as you're listening, I just invite you to think about what are the what are the questions, what are the words that like seeds are within you right now. After the message, I'm going to share a prayer because this week we've been marking National Coming Out Day, which Gretchen will talk about in a little bit. It's a prayer from Enfleshed, a wonderful resource on liturgy. So it's a great episode. I'm so glad you're with us.
1: Come and force me. Come and force me,
0: oh, my oh. 24
1: years ago this week, I was on a flight to Portland to meet up with my parents. I had words I needed to say to them for the very first time. Words that were too big for an email or a phone call or even a handwritten letter. My words were also too big to say while on the drive from Portland to their house two hours away, but they couldn't wait. So from the back seat of my dad's car, I told them I, was in love with a woman. I was bisexual. And for a few moments, my silence instead became theirs. Seconds passed, which honestly felt like decades as mile marker reflectors flew by us in the dark. Finally, from the silence, there came mocking laughter. And all of their defenses came up. They could not believe the words I was saying, refused to hear them. I tried again and again and again to say words that they could somehow understand. It was the beginning of a years-long conversation between us attempting to bridge the distance between my silence and theirs. After all the many, many, many words that we have said to each other over the decades since then, the truth is now, they mostly don't remember that first conversation. The speaking has changed them, and me, and us, and for the good, we did manage to bridge the distance, so much so that they now don't even remember the silence. But I do. I still hold it all, and all the words, in my heart. Some words are like spells. Bringing them to speech changes everything, immediately. And then over time, the, what is spoken sinks in and becomes a new reality, creates a whole new world. Words like, I love you. Words like, I'm trans. Words like, let's get married. Words like, I'm sorry. What are the words in your life that just by speaking them, moved you from one reality to another? The words that changed your life or the life of people you love, the words that made and then remade whole worlds. This power of words being spoken is what psychologist Robert Eichberg and activist Gene O'Leary understood in 1988 when they designated October 11th as National Coming Out Day. They were trying to decide how to respond to continuing anti-gay legislation, and they decided that the act of simply saying true words out loud would be their best hope for turning fear into celebration. Now, over three decades later, coming out is a concept that most of us have a sense of, a power of claiming your own truth to change things. But what can get lost, I think, in our understanding of coming out today is the importance of the words themselves. Instead, we might emphasize the simple knowing of what is true, you know, the coming out to yourself, less than the actual saying of words. Some might balk at the idea of labels in all their concrete specificity for identities always emergent and truth that is ever unfolding. And so downplay the importance of specific words. Words are imperfect approximations of truth, of course, it's why it took so damn long to bridge that distance of understanding with my parents. And words are always just a snapshot in time. And still, there is something uniquely powerful in the bringing of this sounds to our lips, the particular vowels and consonants, the physical breaking of silence by our bodies. Silence can be so seductive, at least for a time. Silence tries to convince us that somehow we can keep things from ever changing, that not changing would actually be better, that somehow by not bringing truth to speech, you could make that truth no longer true, or at least make it not matter so much. Silence over time can become a kind of culture a self-protective habit passed down generation to generation within families and then whole communities until there is silence about the silence itself. As poet Audre Rich wrote, whatever is unnamed, undepicted in images, whatever is omitted from biography, censored in collections of letters, whatever is misnamed as something else made difficult to come by, whatever is buried in the memory by the collapse of meaning under an inadequate or lying language, this will become not merely unspoken, but unspeakable. This is the sort of silence upon which white supremacy and patriarchy depend, which is why speaking some words out loud can feel for some of us like just simply an impossibility, like learning a language long forgotten and forbidden. Now, in silence, the amygdala runs the show. You know, that part of our brain that thrives on threats and fear and reduces all of our options to fight or flight, freeze or fawn, and that disregards all logic as nonsense. Silence is seductive, and it is also eventually suffocating. To keep our truths unspoken is to be eaten alive from the inside. As black lesbian poet Audre Lorde writes, you're never really a whole person if you remain silent, because there's always that one little piece inside you that wants to be spoken out. And if you keep ignoring it, it gets madder and hotter and hotter. And if you don't speak it out one day, it will just up and punch you in the mouth from the inside. Scientifically speaking, to live with the amygdala in charge has significant implications for our health. It reduces our immune response, it increases physical pain, anxiety and depression, and increases the risk for high blood pressure, heart attacks, and stroke. Studies have shown that the brain responds uniquely to the words we say out loud. Saying things out loud refocuses our self-understanding and calms the amygdala. To break the silence is to literally save your own life. As Audre Lorde writes, I have come to believe over and over again that what is most important to me must be spoken, made verbal and shared, even at the risk of having it bruised or misunderstood, that the speaking profits me beyond any other effect. It's one reason why the practice of confession can be so powerful. To put to words the harm that you've caused is to begin a process of healing in yourself and in those you've harmed. So the power of speaking words aloud, I think it's something that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his Don't Say Gay Law understand very well. And it's also something that Moms for Liberty and book banning politicians and local school board candidates understand, just how powerful it can be to say very specific words out loud. Bringing words to speech is a dangerous act, not just psychologically, although that would be enough to justify fear, and trepidation for saying certain words for the first time. As Lord also writes, in the cause of silence, each of us draws the face of her own fear, fear of contempt, of censure, of judgment or recognition, of challenge, of annihilation. We fear for ourselves, and sometimes even more persuasively, we fear for people we love. We sit on words, that we have known in our hearts for a long time, maybe whole lifetimes, because we are afraid that in saying them, it would destroy more than it would create, more than we can handle. Silence, for all its suffocation, is still better, we believe, than such undoing. I quit. I want a divorce. I'm sick. My child is not reaching their developmental milestones. My drinking has become a problem. I was abused. I abused. I have dementia. I'm dying. As ministers, we're often the place people go to for a kind of trial run for first times with words like these a safe person with whom you can try out the words with the idea that by position or by trust we could somehow unhear it if by the saying the destruction suddenly becomes too dangerous or if the words once spoken no longer seem true or important after all. Sometimes people will meet with me, for example, and tell me that they are thinking of leaving their marriage. But then... Sometimes later, I check back in, and they have found a way through it. Sometimes, the saying of words helps us to know the world we want to keep working for, the truth that is worth holding on to. And sometimes, it just tells us that we aren't ready yet, but we could be someday. Now, sometimes people share things like this with ministers with the hopes that we will talk them out of it. That in some kind of holy wisdom, we will see right through them and call it all out as nonsense. I should tell you right now that at least when I'm showing up as I mean to, you might wish for this, but I will not deliver. Unlike other faith leaders, you ministers claim no special access to divine wisdom. Sorry. And we don't claim to know more about your life and your truth than you do. The only thing we can affirm is that these words are your words, your truth, your story, and the best we can offer is to receive you in whatever you are wanting to share. For any of us to receive life words like this, life-changing words from another, it is an honor and a privilege and it matters almost as much as the speaking itself, how any of us will receive another's words. The challenge in this, of course, is to simply listen. Sounds easy to simply listen and to truly hear. It requires a kind of double awareness. First, It is to be aware of the ways that we are entirely separate from the one who is speaking. It is their journey, their truth, their world coming undone or beginning anew, not ours. We may want to relate and unthinkingly write our own experiences onto theirs, but we must let them be the central character of their own story and set aside our own narration for a time. However, their truth is impacting us. Whatever our reaction, we must refuse to try to fix or problem solve unless they explicitly ask us for that kind of support. And even then, we should tread lightly. Let their process unfold as it will, in whatever way it will. To leave space for them to reveal themselves to us. To reveal themselves to themselves and to leave space for them to be still growing and becoming and changing, to let the words be spells of freedom and not just new prisons. Now, the more connected we are to another person, the harder this first awareness will be to hold our children, our parents, our spouses. Their revelations will inevitably feel quite close in, and we can get confused between their truth and our own. The best practice in these moments is to return to our breath and to pause, to know and affirm that we do have our own truth that we will need to say out loud, but that maybe ironically for a time, our silence will be our best gift. To trust that the time will come and the person to whom we will speak that truth may or may not be the person whose truth we are now receiving. I mean, I never thought that my parents shouldn't have their own process about my coming out, their own feelings, their own words, they needed to say and try out and work through. Of course they should. I just wasn't necessarily the right person to receive those words. Now, this question comes up often when I'm talking with a couple considering ending their relationship because they want to keep turning to each other to continue to be the recipient of their respective emerging truths but it is nearly impossible to be the person with whom you are struggling to be in relationship and be the person to whom you are turning to for support about that struggle it's part of the process to find someone else to turn to and to receive the words that you very much do need to speak such a critical part of the breaking silence to be aware of who the right person is to receive and to discern the right timing of sharing or especially in the earliest stages it can get so confusing what to say to whom and here i want to go back to one of the phrases i offered earlier the words i have dementia because these words these are words that are often spoken for the first time in our community, maybe in a small group or in a meeting that you might set up with one of your ministers or the friend you've met here. I have dementia, or maybe my spouse has dementia. Dementia is such a complex reality that so many of us are wrestling with these days. Dementia can make it hard to put anything into words to literally find words, memory is intertwined with identity, especially for people who have been overly identified with their very capable brains uh, for most of their lives, as many of us have. So that by saying those words, I have dementia, we can have a sense that we will become somehow less of a person, at least in terms of how others will see us. It's a fear, and also it is a potential reality just as with others of the life words we might share for the first time, that they could be received with a dehumanizing distance. But this is why we who receive such words must hold on to a second awareness. Alongside that awareness that we are entirely separate from the one speaking, we must hold the awareness that we are also entirely, persistently connected. That there is nothing another person can share that will make them any less human than we are, or that could be completely foreign to us or our potential realities. We must refuse to overly other another. We must also retain a sense of humor, even a lightness, not to downplay what someone is sharing, but more to hold on to the truth of the person that is unchanged, even as they are sharing something that could be world-shifting. When we put to words something for the first time, we need to know that we can still be seen for the person that we are, not overly identified with those new words themselves. As queer theorist Catherine Bon Sockton reminded us, we need to leave some space between the words and us. To remember that the words, powerful as they are, are always an approximation of the truth, not the truth itself. With this in mind, I found that a willingness to say those words, I have dementia or my spouse has dementia, when they have dementia, is one of the best ways to maintain, even deepen, connections with one another and our sense of our shared humanity. Because it gives words to a reality that is there whether you name it or not which reduces anxiety and makes space for that humor to come through, for the humanity to be retained. It is often the case that we try not to say words because we are afraid that they will be disconnecting, that we will lose relationships as a result of our utterances. And for a time that may be true for some relationships it's inevitably true but the truth spoken and acknowledged is ultimately always more connective than untruths left in silence we are one in shared reality whether it is a reality we explicitly name or not and the truth still sets us free so what do you need to say Audre Lorde asks, what are the tyrannies you swallow day by day and attempt to make your own until you will sicken and die of them still in silence? In these days, speaking remains a revolutionary act, a resistance to the forces of shame and erasure, a willingness to be a full person, ever in progress, an act of trust that we could be fully received by another. a steadfast faith that through all of life's tangled blessings love persists it is an act that we do for ourselves and it is an act we do for all of us collectively to ensure the triumph of diverse human truth that no truth will become unspeakable so let us be for one another a safe place to say the words that need saying for the first time. Let us be the people who speak aloud the truth, who refuse the suffocation of silence, and who proclaim the liberating, life-saving necessity of speech. May it be so. And amen.
0: Let us be a safe place for each other's words. Let us say the words that we need to say in our time. I confessed on Sunday that I sometimes struggle to find the words. It can be hard to know what to say, and yet I know the words that Gretchen is talking about. They are the words that, that live deep within us that are hard to even recognize well maybe not hard to recognize but sometimes we don't want to recognize them for what it would mean what it would mean for us what it would mean for other people and yet to not speak them while well, we start to live in a way that is so unaligned from ourselves you know Gretchen used the her story of coming out as bisexual with her parents as a way into this conversation a personal way i think personal stories are such an important way we get at this and i think for many queer people the stories of coming out are connective because of how and unf- well unfortunately some of the similarities in the stories of how people reacted and the time it took and because this is the marking of national coming out day i want to offer this prayer from in flesh which is a collective that creates spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. This is a prayer for National Coming Out Day. I'm going to end our episode with this. Now, I know that not everyone who listens to this podcast is queer, and I know not everyone uh, uses God words, but in this prayer it does. And so if you need some translate here, I think that the God that they're speaking of is, well, another name for it can be love. But also it can be thought of as the highest standards that you or society might hold for yourself and for others. And if you're not queer, you're not trans, and you're wondering if there's anything I can get out of this, well, I think in this prayer there's an invitation for all of us towards truth and authenticity. But also it might be an invitation for you to Imagine to notice how it is to receive this prayer. And, like Gretchen spoke about, maybe the the deep, beautiful silence of holding is what you offer in your allyship today. National Coming out day of prayer. What of a God who doesn't believe in having it all figured out in this idea of a single tidy story? but instead a God who changes with the day and never stops asking you to learn how to love every messy, complicated, seemingly contradictory side of themselves. What of a God who has been so many different things and ways, one that has always been transitioning, taking on new flesh, shedding what care, what hurts, claiming what frees, finding a fresh way to show us the divine that we've been and everything that's keeping us from living it out, What of a God that is tired of being misgendered, isn't interested in excuses any longer, gets a little rude about it, doesn't mind asking you to try a bit harder, to let go of everything you're more loyal to than love? What of a God who spends more time dancing with strangers at 2 a.m., cooking a hot meal for the turned-away youth or protesting the abolition of prisons and policing than attending any worship on Sunday morning? What of a God whose inclusion is radical? One who calls from the fringes to the halls of power and the places of comfort, saying, come, there's a place for you here. If you just lay down your life, your power, your privilege, you can be family. You will become alive again. What of a God who is queer, as in politically, as in strange and proud of it, as in about the things of love and bodies and liberation and solidarity? What about a God who is found in the flesh of everyone you have denied, a kind word, a safe bathroom, a marriage ceremony, a friendly smile, access to healthcare, a home, a faith community, asylum, or even just respect. Listen for this God today. You will find them in selfies and stories coming out again and again, in testimonies and silence and gracious invitations and fierce and radical calls to a different kind of living, a different kind of family, a different kind of love. Bring your offerings, lend your hands, Whisper your prayers and wail your laments before all that is holy and gay, holy and lesbian, holy and queer, holy and bi, holy and trans, holy and asexual, holy and intersex, holy and still finding their way. Thank you to the queer and trans ancestors who left us histories to hold on to. Thank you to every kid who is in their first, who is the first in their class or their school or their town or their family who made it a little easier for the next ones. Thank you for the elders who fought for yourselves and for us. Thank you. For the ones who let your freak flag fly. Thank you to the ones who queer what it is to be queer. Thank you to the ones who take each other in. Thank you for kissing in public and holding hands in the street. Thank you to the ones who share their scars. Thank you to the ones who hold space, no pressure. Thank you, loud ones, quiet ones. Thank you to the ones who helped us learn to love our desire, no more shame. Thank you to the ones who helped us love our trans bodies. Thank you to the ones who are doing what you need to do to survive we need you thank you for persisting for proclaiming thank you for being to you who have shuddered the losses and taken the bullets and been fired betrayed beaten bullied or isolated your pain is honored your contribution is not forgotten you deserve deserved so much better once upon a time they could say they didn't know us but not anymore here we are bringing our strange sacred into the pews and pulpits, to the dinner tables, and beside them in waiting rooms, checkout lines. No apologies. They are so lucky to have us here. Thank you to you who are yet to come, who will expand our understanding and help us love more deeply ourselves and each other. Thank you to every queerly beloved and trans love who keeps choosing to live, choosing to
1: love, and choosing to support each other.